In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Loving Father, we give you thanks and praise as we gather here to, uh, to learn a little bit more about the sacred heart of your Son, who in his great compassion and concern for us became a human being, became one of us, and to teach us how to live, and to teach us how to die, and to teach us the, the promise of the resurrection. So, Father, as today, as in the old calendar, we commemorate St. Michael the Archangel, who is the patron of our diocese. So, we ask you, Father, that through the intercession of St. Michael, we ask that devotion to the Sacred Heart may, may really blossom here in the Diocese of Springfield, that we may be trailblazers for this devotion that is so important to your Son. And we ask all these things in his most holy name, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm wearing a little guacamole here. I'm a Catholic. <laughs> trying to be multicultural. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, I just had it clean, too. But. So sorry, I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? It's been, a, it's been a long day. Today we had the 110th anniversary of the parish, so it was a big deal. And, and I was just like, you know, I, I hadn't eaten anything, and so I was irritable. And the altar boys kept messing up. And so by the time the Mass was over, I was like, Ooh, I had steam coming out of my ears. But I, I, I didn't yell at anybody. I was just, you know, just irritated, and I just sort of sulked and went off back to the rectory. But... Uh, so now that I have some sugar in my blood, I feel human again. But um, as, as, as perhaps most of you know, I was on EWTN recently, which was a great grace. It really was. And so, you know, it, it was a, just a really good thing. So, Marie, thanks to you and to Joe for getting this, uh, having, arranging this, uh, this uh, visit to EWTN. And so I worked out really well and... While I was there, then the reason I bring it up is because while I was there, I met one of the Franciscan friars, and he was surprised that the Guard of Honor is, is not better known. Because, you know, we have, there's a list of all the blessings and saints that belong to it, all of the popes, John Paul, and then all of the preconciliar popes going back to to its foundation in 1863. So, what? Blessed Pius IX, Leo XIII, Saint Pius X, Benedict XV, Pius XI, Pius XII. All of them members of the Guard of Honor. You know? Um, Saint Daniele Comboni, uh, they're not very known and very well known in this area, the Combonian missionaries. But... um, uh, he, he's the, the founder. Um, John Bosco, it's, we don't have the documentation for Don Bosco, but we do know that he made it a rule that every school that he founded would have a center of the Guard of Honor in it, so it would seem likely that he would be a member. Um, and also the, the, the Martin family, Therese's family, uh, Leone definitely, by virtue of having been a visitanding, her oldest sister, she was the only one who wasn't a Carmelite. And, uh, but the thing is, a lot of those records were destroyed in World War II because Normandy 
needless to say, got hit pretty hard. So a lot of that stuff was lost. But anyway, you know, he was just really fascinated with it. You know, here he is, he's a Franciscan, and he's a priest, and he had never heard of the Guard of Honor before. And he was wondering why that was. And I said, well, because I'm doing a crappy job of promoting it. <laughs> you know, basically. Mea uh, culpa. You know, because, I mean, it, it does better in other countries. The country where it's the most popular, and even though it's a French devotion, is Poland. Uh, the Guard of Honor in Poland is huge. Which isn't surprising because the... I mean, the Guard of Honor is French. Devotion to the Sacred Heart started, as we practice it today, started in France. But it was the Polish who, the Polish clergy, who got the feast on the calendar, who um, convinced the Pope that, you know, this should be a universal celebration. And it was, uh, it was Pius IX. And Pius IX was very enthusiastic about joining the Guard of Honor. And uh, so he was the first... The, he was Pope at its foundation, 1863. We were in the middle of the Civil War. And uh, UMass, or I guess it was, it was called Mass Ag back then, was being founded in 1863. But, um, you know, this is another thing that in my conversations at EWTN, it was really it was a graced time. It was, I met some wonderful people, uh, not just... TV people, but, you know, cooks, security, um, support staff, really good people. I had great conversations with them because, you know, they're all there. They're all part of the team. And it's, like, it's, a, it's a huge operation. It's enormous. It's like Disneyland or something. You know, it's not as big as Disneyland, but, but, you know, I mean, they have a lot of, and they don't advertise, um, and they have all these salaries to pay. But uh, it was wonderful. And one thing that I did remember, and I mentioned it, I think I mentioned it on the, the show with Jim and Joy, was that, you know, I'm not a mystic, okay? I don't get, you know, supernatural, you know, visions or communications or anything like that. I, You know, I just get, like... I imagine everyone else does when you pray. Sometimes you feel a little stirring in your in your gut, so to speak. Uh, and it's not Mexican food. I mean, it's just. <laughs> but no, seriously though, you know, like when you feel something intuitively, when you feel something intuitively, and you feel like something is being communicated to you by by God, and. Um, and that happened several times when I was first approached about the Guard of Honor. Um, I remember I was at Tiringham at the Monastery of the Visitation, and I was in the, the parlor there, which is the, the gathering room. It's the biggest of the, the meeting rooms that they have. And there's a small statue of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, um, maybe like that size, I mean, to... For those who are listening, like what, three feet, something like that. Uh, so and so, so it wasn't anything huge or or, or imposing. It was a, a humble statue of the Sacred Heart. But I felt, as I looked upon it, I felt that that Jesus 
was telling me that how important this was to him. And and also that he would bless, and I've shared this with you before, that he would bless the monastery with vocations to the extent that they that they uh, supported this. And then I went out to Brooklyn, New York to meet with Bishop DiMarzio, and he was very enthusiastic about it. He liked the idea, and again, you know, because of the busyness of being a pastor, and I was pastor of two parishes at the time, excuse me, you know, I never followed up on this. So this was really, I really dropped the ball, and, and it's my fault. But uh, he had mentioned, you know, this is a really good thing. We, this is something that we could use as an act of public reparation for the sins of the clergy. And I thought, yes, it's perfect. You know, glory, love, and reparation. You know, because we, all we've been doing so far is as lawyers and insurance companies and, and, psycho- and psychologists. That's it. Um, looking at it, treating the problem the way... Coca-Cola or Walmart or, you know, Bank of America would, would deal with it. Not dealing it at all the way believers would deal with it. Yes, all those other things are necessary. I'm not saying they aren't. But what about the, the spiritual aspect? You know, I can throw millions of dollars at a victim. Uh, I can send them to the world's finest psychiatrists, etc., etc. But... Um, that person is not going to feel whole again. And nothing is impossible for God. With, with God and only with God, only with God, this victim can feel whole again. But we've neglected that. We have to humble ourselves, make reparation for, for this, these heinous just unspeakable crimes Um, and I can't expect the guilty to do it and so it falls upon the rest of the people to to make this reparation so anyway Bishop DiMarzio was very enthusiastic about it and uh, I remember God bless him I, I met him we didn't know each other from Adam and he scheduled an appointment with me, and uh, I remember it was in the afternoon, like at 3 o'clock, which is my nap time. And I guess it was his nap time, too, because <laughs> he kept yawning, and I just thought, oh, you know, I, t- I, took it, I took offense at first. I was like, boy, am I that boring? You know? <laughs> but he, he excused himself, and he said that he was just, you know, it was... Uh, that he was very tired and um, uh, it had nothing to do with what I was saying. And so, so well, like I said, he was <clears throat> very enthusiastic and, and he said that he was going to name one of his diocesan priests for Brooklyn as the diocesan director for the Guard of Honor. And he did immediately. Probably did it that very evening. Because um, then I found out that it was given to Father uh, Peter Gillen Again, someone I didn't know. I, d- I don't know anybody in the Diocese of Brooklyn. Even though I, was, I was born there, but that's, that's the end of that. Um, and so I got in touch with him, and we talked. We made a, plans to, to meet. So I went back down to Brooklyn, and uh, we had dinner in, a, in an Italian restaurant. Lots of great Italian restaurants in Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're just 
getting to know each other, you know. And, uh, and he mentioned something to me. He said, you know, um, when I was approached about this, I felt very clearly that Jesus was telling me that the Sisters of Brooklyn would be blessed with vocations if they supported this. This is, they got the exact same message that I did in Tiringham, and he got it for, for Brooklyn. So it, it, it confirmed a little bit what I had felt all along in my gut, you know, that it's something that is very important to our Lord. The devotion to the Sacred Heart has basically been tossed out the window. I mean, I'm not just talking about the Guard of Honor, but in general, the Apostleship of Prayer, which is the, the Jesuits uh, run, um, it's now experiencing a revival, in the, at least in the United States. And, uh, but, but Pope Francis changed its name. I just don't think it's a good idea when you have something that's been around for a long time, like uh, a certain American retailer that sells coffee and other products and is headquartered in Boston. You know, if, if you're a household name, don't change it. You know, it's not smart. And um, it makes me think of New Coke. Remember that fiasco, the New Coca-Cola? But, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm tired and I, I lost my, th- my train of thought. But, uh, oh yes, the Apostleship of Prayer. Now Pope Francis called it the Pope's International Worldwide Network of Prayer, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Apostleship of Prayer has been around since the 1800s. Just leave it, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I belong to it and I recommend it. Their approach is different. It, uh, they're mostly about praying for the, the Pope's intention, so I can understand the Pope giving it this name to focus on what their, their charism uh, is. But, uh, I mean, other than, than that, there really isn't a whole lot, whereas the devotion to the Sacred Heart was pretty much universal prior to the, prior to the Council. I mean, you had... I mean, how many parishes... Universities, colleges, schools are named after the Sacred Heart. I mean, it's such a common thing that an outsider would think any Catholic knows everything about the Sacred Heart because it's all over the place. And yet, you know, who knows about the Sacred Heart? Only older people do. You know, the kids, well, you know, what have they been taught in CCD? You know, how to make paper mache crosses, <laughs> you know, arts and crafts. Um, but they don't know about this very important devotion. And I don't even like calling it a devotion. Because all it is, it is, it is a way of worshipping Jesus. And it is something that, that didn't start with Margaret Mary Alacoque. Um, I mean, it starts really with, with St. John. It starts with St. John at the Last Supper. You know, that moment when he, they're leaning at the, on table, they're not sitting at table, they're leaning, at, resting on their elbows, eating in the Roman style, and he's talking to Peter across the table, and he leans back, Jesus happens to be behind him, and he mentions that he rested his head on the breast of Jesus. So, that wasn't just a moment of tender affection. 
that was something supernatural happened there. Something happened to John there that didn't happen to the other 11. And we see the evidence for this and how his life plays out. You know, you, when you go to, to church or any other of the apostles' feasts, it's automatically, you, you, it's red because they're martyrs, but not John. John died of natural causes. Uh, he died very old at the age of 103. Uh, he started following Jesus when he was like 13 years old. So think about it. Back in those days, in the first century, who got to spend 90 years as a Christian and get away with it? <laughs> you know? Um, but also, he is given this, these revelations, the apocalypse, that he tries to describe in human terms in the book of Revelation. But most importantly is God is love. It's a phrase that we take for granted. It's sometimes we don't give it any thought. We might, you know, it's like e pluribus unum on the money. We don't think about it. But God is love. Well, that comes from St. John. It, it's not in the Old Testament. And Jesus never said it. John says it. And it's one of, it's become like a, a, a central tenet of our faith for Catholics and Protestants alike, that God is love. And that comes from him. How did he know this? You know, how come he knows this and the prophet Ezekiel didn't know this? Or Moses didn't know this? Well, I would... I would suggest that it's because Ezekiel and Moses did not rest their head upon the heart of God. They didn't put their little brains, their, their little sinner brains on top of, you know, because the heart, and this is something that goes back to the Old Testament, the heart is the, heart is the man in the, for, for the Israelites. The heart is the man. And Jesus talks about this. He says that whatever comes out of your mouth is uh, you know, the surplus of, what's, well, of what you carry, of what you treasure in your heart. And that when we sin, it's not what goes in our mouth, but it what, it's what comes out of us that causes us to sin. It's because that's, that's where the true man is. Everything else is all a mask. <laughs>